There is a detail that runs through all the accounts of the resurrected Jesus that I don't know if you caught just in those two stories. It's that Jesus' closest friends don't recognize him after the resurrection. Did you notice that? And Mary and Peter aren't the only ones here. There's so many more accounts. Why is that? Why would Jesus' closest friends, you would think that that would be the first thing that they would see. Oh my gosh, he's here. He's alive. But they don't. They don't see him. Was it that he looked different after the resurrection? Was it that there was some sort of miracle? You know, we can't discount those things. We don't really know for sure. But I'll tell you this. The Bible is a spiritual book. The primary message that it wants to convey to us is spiritual in nature. We keep looking to it for historical fact and historical accuracy, and what it wants to give us is spiritual truth. So what truth is there in that detail, in that fact, preserved for 2,000 years that Jesus' closest friends over and over did not recognize him when they first saw him after the resurrection? What can we learn from this? There's a story that I like to tell, and some of you have heard it before, but I see new faces, so my jokes are going to be new here for a minute. (laughs) Marion and I had only been married about four months, and that was uh, 24 years ago last month. And uh, I was going to work, and I, and I had to go get something at uh, the local Target store uh, at lunchtime. So I went in there, and I was looking down the aisles, because I had no idea where I was. And I'm, you know how you go, and you look down this aisle, and you go to the next aisle, you look down, look down, look down. So I looked down this aisle, and here comes this woman pushing a cart toward me. And she was just beautiful, and she just stopped me in my tracks, and I'm looking at her. And I'm just looking at the way that she was carrying herself, and she turned to look down an aisle, and I was looking at her profile, and it was this many beats before I realized it was Mary and my wife. I don't think you can get in trouble for checking out your own wife, right? (laughs) I think I'm safe here. It was a couple of days later that I realized what a gift I had been given. In that moment, I got to see my wife all over again. We'd only been married four months, but we'd been together for three and a half years. And I saw her as if for the first time. You know, with that thrill and that attraction and all that all over again. But why didn't I recognize her? Why did it take me so long to figure it out that I get to take her home at night? What was up with that? It's because she was the last person I expected to see at Target that day. She just happened to be there as well. It's our beliefs and especially our set beliefs that limit our vision. What we expect to see is largely what we do see. And what the Gospels are trying to tell us is that Jesus' friends didn't expect to see what they saw. As long as they had been with him, as much as they had heard, as much as they loved him and believed him, when it came right down to it, they were still looking for the living among the dead. Take a look at Luke 24, right at verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, They and some others came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They entered in and didn't find the Lord Yeshua's body. It happened while they were greatly perplexed about this. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling clothing. Becoming terrified, they bowed their faces to the earth and they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He isn't here. He's risen. Why do we seek the living among the dead? Because we look for Jesus where we expect him to be. For these women, women trying to get, you know, 
synchronized with the clock. They couldn't get him anointed on Friday. They had to wait all the way through the Sabbath until Saturday evening. They buy the spices. They're there first thing in the morning, and they're looking for him in a graveyard. Of course, where else would they expect him to be? Where would you expect him to be, having witnessed what they witnessed on Friday? They looked for him among the dead. Of course they did. You know, I used to think if I just got the chance to walk with the Master just for a week, you know, that I would have the faith that I would not miss Jesus. Really. Really. I was looking for Jesus for a decade in my 30s. But I was always looking for him in Scripture, in the Bible, in church, in theology, in doctrine. I was looking for him all the places I expected him to be. And I missed the fact that he was right with me in all the little details of my life. I looked where I expected for him, and I missed him in my life. You know, the moment that we set on a belief, the moment we put it in stone, any idea that we have about God, God is no longer there. Why? Because life is defined by motion, right? It's one of the characteristics of life that it has to have. It has to have motion. If it's not moving anymore, it's no longer alive. It's dead. Our beliefs, if they stop moving, if they get set, they no longer are moving. They're no longer alive. And Jesus is not there because Jesus won't be found among the dead. Always among the living. These scriptures that we have and we revere are brilliant First of all, they're honest. They depict all our heroes of faith exactly as they were. They sugarcoat nothing. They show them in their weaknesses and their vulnerabilities and their doubts. And so we can trust the fact that they're going through the same things that we go through. And that's a beautiful thing. Trying to get this across to us so that we can understand God's spirit is always in motion. His very name in Hebrew and Aramaic means wind and breath and spirit all at the same time because breath is always in motion or it's not breath anymore. It's defined by motion. Wind is always in motion. It's defined by motion. No motion, no wind. No motion, no spirit, no presence. See, we have to get used to the idea that it's always in motion, always changing. We resist the change. We want one set, certain belief that we can hang on to. And as soon as we do that, God is no longer there. He's out among the living, among the motion. Jesus' friends could only see what their beliefs allowed them to see at that particular moment. And it works the same way for us. Look at Mary at John 20. Mary turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. This is the passage that Jeanette read so beautifully where she comes out of the tomb. And Jesus says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, Miriam. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabuni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But I go to my, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary expected him right where she left him. Reasonable, right? 
She left him in the grave. You expect him to stay there. And she's all business. When she hits the, the graveyard, she's all business. She's all about the spices. She's all about the anointing. And think about it. The anointing is a focus for her grief, isn't it? Don't we all do the same thing? When we're hit with something that we can't quite get our arms around, it's just too big. If we felt it all at once, we think we would just poof out of existence. And so we focus on the task at hand. Here's Mary focusing on this task at hand like a laser. She needs to get this done. It's almost like when she meets Jesus. You know those cartoons where you're running and you run off the cliff and you just keep going because you don't know you're off the cliff yet? She's kind of doing that. She's just all about the job. Or one of those movies where someone's really upset and they're speed talking really fast and she's saying, hey, you know what? I don't know where they took him. And it's like, Mary, shut up. Stop. Look. And then all of a sudden, it's just the tone. It's the voice. It's the scent of intimacy. It's hearing her name that breaks through, breaks the spell. And all of a sudden, she can see this is her Lord. As amazing as it is, this is her Lord. Something brings her back. Luke 24. This is the story of Emmaus. That very day, two of them are going to a village named Emmaus. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Skip to verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and then he vanished from their sight. So here they are walking for quite a distance, discussing the scriptures and doing all the things in that passage that we skipped over. And it's not until they're at table, and he breaks the bread, and he blesses it, and he passes it out, that it connects and it kicks in. That intimate, familiar gesture that they had seen him do a thousand times as the master of their community at every meal, and it comes to them. We know who this is. At John 21, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. He said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. And of course he swims for shore because Peter was always doing stuff like that. Gotta love Peter, you know. I'm not going to let you wash my feet. Let me out of the boat. (laughs) It's amazing that a personality could be preserved for 2,000 years. His personality must have been so strong that we still get it. It's just beautiful. He says, I'm going fishing. But it's not just that he's going fishing, is it? It's that he's going back to his old way of life. Jesus has been gone for some time now. They don't know if he's coming back. They saw the crucifixion. Going back to the daily details of life. Going back to what they need to do to survive. Allowing life to kind of move back into what used to be normal. Kind of like when you come back from one of those mountaintop retreats and by Wednesday you're back down in the details again. 
Here's Peter moving back into that space. And yet here's this irrational command. Put your nets on the other side of the boat. What in the world made them follow that command? Something. The tone of voice. Maybe they were just too tired to fight it mentally. But by following that command, by moving back into that childlike space, suddenly the eyes are opened and they see who it is that they're talking to. This is what the scriptures are trying to get across to us. This is what it is that we're supposed to learn by these tiny details that are preserved for us. We all look for Jesus among the dead, don't we? Because our set beliefs limit our vision. When I was learning guitar, I learned three chords, and I thought that I was Neil Young, because I could play Heart of Gold, you know? And then I wanted to write songs of my own, and I knew three chords, you know? After a while, all your songs sound exactly the same if you're just going to use three chords, right? But I learned, hey, don't let the knowledge of chords limit what I can hear. Put the guitar away. Let the melody just sing in my head, and then figure out the chords later, and suddenly unconstrained again, able to go wherever I need to go because no longer limited by what I think I know, what my hands can actually do. It's this way with our faith. Our set beliefs are the three chords, and God has to fit in those three chords. But guess what? Death could not contain Jesus. Our expectations, our set beliefs, and our three chords are not going to contain him either. There is no way that can happen. And whenever we think we have Jesus figured out, he's no longer there. Our beliefs, once set, are entombed with the dead. And Jesus is not among the dead. He's among the living. And think about this. Even after Mary recognizes Jesus, what does he tell her? Don't cling to me. There was a Jewish custom for the acolytes of a master to kneel down and grasp their feet. This is probably what she was doing. It would have been a very, very Jewish gesture for her and a sign of submission to her master. He says, don't cling to me. Why not? Good grief. Wouldn't you want a big hug after something like that that happened on Good Friday? But thinking spiritually, what's going on here? She wants to go right back to the relationship the way it was. He physically with them, leading them. She in that place of submission. And he said, the relationship is changing. It's always changing. We can't go back to the way it was. And that's a good thing. Because now, he said, that I am taken out physically, the helper can come. And that is the miracle of Pentecost when they finally understand what it looks like to be directly connected to their God, to their God's spirit. God is too big to be constrained by even our notion of relationship with him. It's painful to let it go, but it's the only way that we can grow. We say today and we say as Christians that Jesus is alive, that Jesus lives, but it changes nothing in our lives. It'll change nothing about our choices and our attitudes and the quality of our relationships if we keep looking for him among the dead if we keep looking for him within those set beliefs that we're not allowing to change and move with God's spirit. Jesus is always in motion, always among the living details of each moment of our lives. Each moment, that's where you'll find him, where you least expect that he will be.
And as soon as we decide where he's supposed to be, we will miss him as he rides into our lives like he does, does on Palm Sunday. So many of us, especially as time rolls on and we think maybe we might be in the last days, we're looking for Jesus in the clouds. We're looking for that cloud to part and the rays to come down and Jesus to be there in that magnificent return. And while we're looking up and looking for Jesus there, he's down here cooking breakfast. Do you see how perfect our scriptures are, what they do for us, how they keep us grounded, how they keep us pointed in the right direction? And I'm not just talking about Jesus cooking breakfast 2,000 years ago, all right? Who cooked your breakfast this morning? Was it your wife? Was it your husband? You know? Was it some guy in a hairnet at Denny's in the kitchen? Who cooked your breakfast this morning? Was it you? Did you do it for yourself? If we don't become people who can see Jesus in each one of those faces, then we have missed him. He's cooking breakfast right now in a billion kitchens. He's here in each face in this room right now. Can we see that? It's what he told us over and over and over again. Whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. We've got to take him at his word. We have to understand how deep all of this goes and to understand that he is in every moment, every person, every task, or nowhere at all. Look for Jesus in the thickest part of your life. Look for Jesus in the smallest details of your life. When you hear your name called, when you see a familiar gesture that just takes you to that place that feels like home, or when you're shocked by a radically new concept or an invitation to something that you've never been to before and it scares you, but you find yourself saying yes, jump in the water like Peter and swim for shore to that new life, to that new place, because that's where you'll find Jesus. Jesus is always on the edge of new, always right there. And if we're willing to stay on that edge with him, it's going to be a breathtaking ride, and we won't miss the hour of our visitation.